Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Echelon Cycling Podcast. This is our 12th episode and an exciting week, to say the least. Our long form, <laughs> you're just dying slowly. Uh, yeah, basically, our long form discussion of what's happened in the week. And I mean, as always, I'm joined by Audu creator and uh, Dan Lloyd <laughs> scrutinizer. Patrick and uh, Mr. Pritter himself, Ewan Wilson as well. And yeah, I mean, where are you guys right now? Because, well, I'm I'm just sitting in Oxford, so nothing exciting here. Uh, I'm currently in in Yorkshire on my back home on my Easter holiday from uni. But I'll be heading back down to Bath. I'm currently in a popular chain hotel that rhymes with Schmemiashmin in Belfast. After following Andrew Tate the other week to Romania, I've been following Joe Biden to Ireland this week, following him around the country, uh, helping him re- rediscover his roots. That's why I'm here, and that's why I wasn't on the stream, because I was in uh, rural Ireland over the past couple of days. Imagine. <laughs> imagine I could exactly. imagine that, yeah. But, I mean, w- we might as well start with Amstel Gold, because it was the biggest race, even though it happened today of recording. We're recording on the Sunday. And, uh, yeah, what do you guys think of the race? I didn't think they were the most entertaining races. To be honest with you, the men's or the women's. I know we largely cover men's stuff, but the women's, I mean, SD Works won, which may or may not come as a surprise to people, considering that they do tend to just dominate a lot of races. Demi Bollering won, which is perhaps even less surprising, but it kind of went into the base of a climb with like 30 something riders. And then they just, it was like just a bit of a puncher kind of shootout. It was kind of like fairly traditional in that sense. And then the men's race was perhaps a little bit more interesting considering that some group went up the road before coverage even started with Pogaccia in there and a couple of other kind of big names. And I think it was, it was a decent race, but at the end of the day, it, it was, it was a day which was won, or it was a very predictable day. Let's put it that way. What people expected to happen in terms of the people who are winning ended up winning. Which I suppose is somebody who I quite like the underdog winning. Uh, perhaps wasn't the most entertaining to me, just because I was hoping for somebody to perhaps upset the apple cart a little bit. But maybe some people just like the, uh, the kind of predictable nature. I don't know. I mean, I didn't watch the races live, but I've uh, I've been catching up on the highlights. I'll preface this whole episode by saying that. Um, but the women's race, I mean. The top two finished in the top two. I quite like Van Anroy. She's 21 years old and she's an Aquarius. It, it was quite cool seeing her get third place because she's so young. But in the men's race, yeah, I mean, a snooze fest. I don't think it's going to be one for the ages, but I'm happy Pogaccio won. I think it's something to add to his list. And it feels like the right person won on the day. There's no real controversy. And I don't think we'll... For... No offense to Michal Kwiatkowski, but we forgot about last year very quickly. Even the year before when Wout won, even though Wout was probably the best in the day, it's just like we kind of forgot about it. And I think this year will probably be, be the same, but there's no debate about who the best rider was on the day. But yeah, not an Amstel for the ages. I think we're still on a big emotional hangover from 2019's edition um, when Mathieu van der Poel came back. I see that that video was making the rounds on Twitter the night before. Um, but there is not going to be that moment this year. It's underwhelming. Yeah, I mean... We we were puzzled why Jombo Visma and the other teams, Barra and Victorious as well, that they let Tadabigacha in that move before broadcast even started. So, I mean, in no world would you let the such a red-hot race favorite go up the road in such a big group. It just seemed crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a bit like at the World Championships when you had Remco Evenepoel go off in, in a group early on in the day and you think, what's everyone done here? But there was, I don't think I've watched a World Tour level race where, be, where there's been such an out-and-out favourite as Tadej Pogacar for this one. So I was surprised that 
it really did just go off. But even even with his bike problem, he still made it back. And uh, I mean, I think it just shows his strength. Other teams just playing silly tactics on the day. But they're not going to lose sleep over, over losing Amstel Gold. They've got Flesh Wallon and uh, Liege Baston and Liege next week to sort of try and fight back. It did seem a little bit weird because when we were doing the, the commentary, Scott, we were just kind of like confused. We were like, Pigatcha's up there. And nobody seems to be responding with a massive sense of urgency to try and bring back the overwhelming favourite for the race, despite the fact that he's got like a 30-second head start on you. And it's not even like he's out there solo. He's he's in there with a group of 15 or so, so he's still getting that respite. It's not like he's just bashing his hands against the wind, just burning up matches. It did seem a bit odd, and we couldn't quite put our finger on it, but at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm not a DS. So I don't know whether there was some kind of 200 IQ play going on that perhaps just didn't work out. But it did seem a bit odd from a viewer standpoint, that they that nothing was really done to really uh, challenge Pogaccia too much, not even by the people in the breakaway themselves. Were I mean, I, challenging Pogaccia is easier said than done, obviously, but nothing was really done to try to force him to do more more work or anything, considering that he is the overwhelming favourite. And that seemed really odd that they were just like, we're going to ride with you and take you further towards the finish line, despite the fact that you are probably going to crash us anyway. And that just kind of didn't quite compute in my head yeah why would they sort of dance with the devil if you will in terms of letting Pogacha sort of ride with you and they ride, they were riding with them very comfortably it is odd but I, I don't suspect we're going to see this an awful lot throughout the season i think it's also because today it's um i think it's also because there aren't there wasn't really a super strong other team to sort of help out there were decent formations but no team had full force at amstel which is which, which probably played into it as well. Yeah, no Watt Van Aert, no Remco Venepoel, no Julian Philippe. In this era where like victory and success is monopolized by so few teams and so few riders, when w- once you take out some of those characters, then who really take takes up the work? Is as is Ajadazel Mondial really the guys who you'd expect to take it up? Because for the, for the likes of Jumbo Visma and, and Ineos aren't doing the work. I mean, it's interesting. It probably just shows the sort of power balance. Uh, that we have at the moment and maybe this is just a byproduct uh this the tactics today were a byproduct of the monopolized power we now have between a certain handful of teams in the sport so i mean now getting on to the controversial moment that patrick and i were absolutely flabbergasted at when we saw it live that was when the race commissaire was drafting essentially a tarugacha in the crucial moment where ben healy was making inroads on this deficit Okay, well, you can argue that Ben Healy would probably not out-sprint Tadabagacha, but we're used to seeing it from a team car drafting their riders. But here, the race organizer gets involved in the racing. Like, what on earth? Yeah, we, we just thought it was really odd. It was just one point they drove up alongside Pagacha, exchanged a few words with him, and then they didn't really accelerate away. They just kind of, like, hung there in front of him. To a point where you've ever ridden a bike and a car kind of overtakes you and it's just like slightly in front of you, you do notice a difference. And it was, although perhaps not a um, a race like defining moment per se, in terms of was Pagacha probably going to win anyway? Yes. But it just sets a precedent where this needs to be sort of controlled and monitored a bit more and perhaps scrutinized a bit more by the UCI because it sets a precedent which shouldn't be allowed. Like you shouldn't have cars that close to the riders not just from a standpoint of the benefiting of riders aerodynamically but also from a safety standpoint as well like you need to and um, i feel like it was just a, a lapse of concentration today and it needs to be um, assessed and 
ideally snuffed out a bit more in future races because although it didn't affect Amstel today, there's, that doesn't mean it won't affect future races uh, for the rest of the calendar. This wasn't the best advertisement, but Pogacar can help it. I don't think we should sort of victimize, not victimize, but villainize Atari Pogacar for being in that position. He happened to sort of benefit from clumsiness, clownery up ahead in um, in the organization, whether it was the, the, the commissaire's car driving, whether it was something in front, maybe even the race management uh, made a bit of a blunder. We've seen that before in Amstel Gold, where cars have been out on course when they shouldn't have been. It's uh, it's maybe more, more of a race management question than one that, for the UCI to sort of investigate with riders and their impact. Yeah, for sure. Tarugach had no influence on that. And what is he going to yeah. do? Like, I'm trying to win the race here. You're in the way. Kind of piss off. He should attack past them. He should go, go around and be like, well, there we go. But I mean, yeah. usually in cycling, there'll be like a Ted de la Course, like a head of the race car, I believe, or police. Thinking about when I've seen races. That um, is very far normally. It's not this it's, close. Yeah, exactly. But but then maybe something held it up and that kind mm. of lagged the commissaires. Yeah. Also, how how they, they should be taken out of the gap in between Pogacar and Healy. Usually, if it comes under 30 seconds, which I think it was at the time, they yeah. should get out of the way. Maybe it was like a sort of a blunder and confusion on their part. And just the, the way that the race is organized. Maybe this is something in the rules and the protocol that they should streamline, and something that the police or the commissaires, the drivers, the chauffeur should be uh, should be briefed on beforehand. Yeah, Voktas was angry on Twitter, rightly so. Over he this. always is. No, but yeah. I mean, if you're yeah, if you're invested, your rider is lying second, and yeah. he's catching up, mm. and then this happens. Like there was no excuse from the commissaires on this one. But uh, yeah, it's not Tadevgacha's fault. So. But I mean, yeah. we should talk about Ben Healy because Ben Healy, incredible ride. First Irishman on the podium since 1980s. So 22 years old. No one really looked at him. It was all Nielsen Parler's talk before the race. It was a great performance by Ben Healy. He's been a good run of form. And yeah, I can't help but notice, but there's like a, this year, there seems to be a real increase in performance from the riders who are in a contract year, because there are a lot of riders in a contract year this time around, and Ben Healy is one of them. And it definitely felt like last year, 2022, he didn't have results which were worthwhile of a re-signing. And it's really good to see when a rider who is in a contract year, who is so talented, actually gets the results where he will now get a contract at the end of this year, because it would be such a shame to see him not get re-signed or go to somewhere where his talents aren't used to its full extent because that would be arguably the worst case scenario so not only am i looking am i happy that he's probably going to be getting a contract at the end of this year from somebody even if it's not ef but also looking forward to seeing what he can do at the giro d'italia because he's provisionally down to do that and i think that it'll be his first grand tour and if he can carry this you know not get ill not get injured or anything then you know it's only a few weeks away I'm looking forward to seeing what Ben Healy can do there in his Grand Tour debut. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about Healy. He's 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 a rider who's been sort of on the radar for a while and waiting for a big result, waiting for a big result. Um, he's part of the sort of younger generation of Irish riders coming through, and um, he's finally sort of hit the jackpot this well the past month really. And yeah, it's it's really uh it's really good to see. I think no doubt he'll stay with his team based on vibes. He's very EF, if you know what I mean. I can imagine him in sort of a bohemian cafe ordering a flat white wearing Carhartt or Palace clothing. He goes home and wears his EF Palace Crocs uh, to, to walk around his love, lovely apartment. He, he just seems very EF uh, vibes to me. So he'll, he'll probably stay here. 
And uh, it, it's a really solid run of form. And to step out of the shadow as well today, well, he had a really good level on Sapale earlier this week. And so to sort of show that he wasn't just a one-hit wonder, I think, is, is a really big step forward for him. Because uh, it would have been easy for him to sort of be over overlooked by the other riders in the squad today, like Paulus or Miguel Henry. But uh, yeah, it's really good work for him. And uh, it's good to see an Irish rider get some, get some success on the World Tour level. It's been a while, really, because Sam Bennett not really quite there. So Healy's showing that there's more fire in the Irish cannon. Well, just sticking on Tadogacha, because it, well, it seems like every week he's adding another achievement to his list of achievements this season has been. It's probably going to be his greatest season if he actually manages to win Liege, Bastien Liege and the Tour, for example. But nevertheless, by winning the Amstel Gold, we think he's the only rider in history to win Paris-Nice, the Ronde van Blanderen, and Amstel Gold in the same year because the other riders who had done that win Amstel Gold and Ronde van Blanderen were Eddie Merckx and Jan Ratz and Philippe Gilbert, and none of them won Paris-Nice in the same year. So, I mean, process of elimination, that makes sense. The question is here, he's doing flesh alone, Liège, Bastien Liège. That hasn't, well, no one's won all three races since uh, Philippe Gilbert in 2011, David Rebelin, he won it back. He did all that in 2004. But the question here, very long point, long-winded way to get there. Is he the favorite for Liège, Bastin Liège once again? Or can Remco Venepoel threaten Tadabagaccio? I think that Remco's the, this is really the, the, the crux of this. Uh, by and large, because Remco came out of, from what I can remember, he just kind of came out and just did Liège last year and then won it. He didn't do any of the other Ardennes kind of more traditional warm-up. He just sort of came out of nowhere. And especially this year, there's been a bit more of a an increase in riders just kind of getting shipped in out of nowhere and or from their, you know, volcano lair or whatever, and just kind of like doing well in a race. Remco, you know, currently... You know, on, well, everybody kind of knows he's kind of just like on at altitude. He did flesh for loan and the brunt of pile last year. Oh, did he? Oh, well, forget everything. Forget what I just said. <laughs> no, carry um, on, carry on. But he didn't like do, yeah, he did do those. That's true. But I don't know. He's, he is the person who could upset Pagacha's ability to win that, especially since Remco, kind of similar to Pagacha, is quite prone to attacking from quite far out, which gives other teams a little opportunity to anticipate moves and try and get up a road early because the two big favorites pretty much do that as a de facto as they're like a strategy so it's going to be really hard for somebody else i think to upset the apple cart i think it is likely between those two but if it came down to a sprint between them i would probably say that pigaccio would be the favorite yeah yeah i have a feeling that if remco goes early pogaccio would follow i don't think he can replicate move by move what he did last year in la redoute purely because people will be there by his side knowing that this is the this is where he went last year there'll be more more attention there and remember last year was maori von Savenon sort of digging in beforehand setting things up for remco maori von Savenon is not on the same level of form this year and i I don't think they can copy paste that tactic which worked so well last year they have to figure out something else to do and i don't think Remco can leave it to Rochefoucauld so it'll be something later um in the profile i think Pogacar could follow Remco on on any move and if it comes down to Rochefoucauld i think Pogacar's won it if it's between them what Remco does have is that engine which I think he's a little bit stronger at than Pogacar even though Pogacar I think does also have a strong engine I think Remco I mean he's a European former world champion, he's, he's such a good time trial engine that he might have that oomph that Pogacar doesn't quite have. But we've never really seen them go tete-a-tete. We haven't seen them go mano a mano, if you will. Uh, the World Championships was kind of altered or derailed because of that big move where Remco went. Yes, that was um, Pogacar's mistake. 
as it was everybody else's mistake for letting him go up the road. But we haven't quite seen them look at each other and go at it at a stage race, really, let alone uh, a, a classic, I don't think. Terreno last year, yeah. kind of, but not really. Yeah, but they weren't really sort of tete-a-tete, mano-a-mano in terms of like really battling each other out. Remco was quite a bit behind. Sorry, Remco, but that's kind of the truth. Shots fired. <clears throat> No, I mean, he, he won a Grand Tour that last year. Tate did not. Uh, I mean, it, it will be interesting to see. And I mean, this power dynamic between them and this battle might actually be quite a, uh, an important one in the years to come. We say that now. Who knows? There might be a Wonder Kid bursting through, waiting to take that place. But these two, I think, are sort of the most hotly anticipated riders. One of the few Grand Tour talents who can do classics racing quite well. And I think Remco probably somewhere down the line will do Ronda. And him and Pogaccio probably have to play the same kind of cards in Ronda. So this might be quite a good amuse-bouche for what's to come in the next three, four years in the classics calendar. But for the time being, I think Pogaccio is the better at Liège. I think there's more scenarios that could suit Pogaccio than, than they could Remco. But I wouldn't be surprised if Remco were to win next Sunday. Yeah, that's true. It wouldn't surprise me if Remco gets put into Flanders next year, considering how quick step we're doing this year. <laughs> but I like, just throw throw him at it. We'll we'll just see how it goes. I reckon uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Remco. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't do it this year because he's world champion. Such a big deal in Flanders. I'm surprised they didn't throw him into the squad there. It's pretty low risk in terms of crashing. But uh, I mean, I say that he could have been wiped out by the Matsyuk move. Or, oh, true, uh, very true. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the monument hunting, it's a shame that we're not going to get much of Vanderpool here. Liège, kind of hard to tick that off. Tadwagach has always already taken it, but like the fact that Wat Van Aert finished on the podium last year means that Macho Vanderpool can definitely finish on the podium. Um, I guess I theoretically, yeah, because you would say, yeah, Wout Machu are very similar in a lot of senses, so therefore, yeah, Machu should, would in theory, be able to also finish on the podium of Liège. He finished in the top 10 a few years ago, if my memory serves me correctly. So, yeah, in theory, like, Machu could do well here. Yeah, because we, we were saying on stream today how it is a bit odd that Matthew and Wout decided not to come to Amstel, despite the fact that they seemed obviously in good form at Paris-Roubaix, and usually riders who do Roubaix tend to go on to do Amstel. So it, we were a little bit confused there. But yeah, I guess there's still time to change. I mean, Wout Van Aert's addition to Liège Baston Liège last year was relatively late. So who knows? Maybe Alperson realising that, well, today, who was their best performer? Was it Jani Vermeersch? Or it might have been Sam Crow or something like that. Maybe they realise, well, actually, our Ardennes team, because I don't think Quentin Hermans is feeling quite right or something. Maybe they're like, oh, let's just put Van der Pollen. Give it a go. Why not? What's the worst that could happen? He wins. Well, yeah. <laughs> Whatever Wout can do, Mathieu can do better. Um, but, I mean, Wout was fielded because he missed out that week last year from COVID, and I think he was a little bit frustrated and wanted to get results elsewhere. At the beginning of this season, remember... I keep quoting it. He wanted to win a Big Fish Classic, and he hasn't done that. Maybe he'll give it his one last shout at Liège. Uh, there were rumours that he might do it, but I don't blame him and Mathieu for taking a weekend off, really. You have, what, the Hint Adri weekend, then he had the Ronde of Landre, then he had Pyro Bay. Those guys have been at it every single weekend. Give them give them some time off, you know, just for just for one weekend. They can, uh, they can relax and, uh, and go for a walk or something. That doesn't yeah. include a bike ride. They wouldn't have <laughs> let Tadwagachi go up the road like that. Yeah, true. I, I think almost maybe teams are looking around thinking, is Mathieu where? Shouldn't Mathieu be following? Shouldn't Wout be here? 
um, and realizing that, that they weren't on the start list for, for the race. But yeah, I mean, ne- next weekend will be interesting to see if any of the riders sort of get thrown into the start list that we weren't expecting. I think Liège is the race outside of Lombardia where that happens the most. And I would suspect Wout well, might have a chance of getting thrown in last minute. Um, to provide some structure maybe to that uh, Yumba Visma squad, which doesn't quite seem like it has a sort of out-and-out leader. And can Yumba really risk it at another monument without a leader? I think then they kind of want a good monument performance before they go into the Giro. Wow, it's going to have a lot of downtime uh, before his next targets of the Dauphiné, I believe, then the Tour de France. So, I mean, what's 250 kilometers difference going to make, Wow, Liège is infamously not a crash-heavy race. Yeah, there are some crashes, but it's not as sort of crash prone as as the two previous ones in Roubaix and Ronda so it would make the dynamic very interesting if we had Pogacar, Wout and Remco up in front okay put your necks out who do you think is going to win Liege Baston Liege um I'm going to say you're going to say Alexander you can't pull my neck no um I haven't even seen a starlet um Ben Healy, he'll win. Easy. No, Macho Van Der Poel. Macho Van Der Poel. He's not even on the start line, but I have to. That's a bold move. You would be the voice of reason amongst us. Well, I was going to say, since everyone's giving crazy picks, I should pick a pick a right outsider. I'm digging. I'm digging deep in the memory vault, trying to think who could who could possibly win this kind of race that would be an outsider. You know what? Actually, Tish Pino winning this. I don't think that would be that alien. If Tish Benoit were to win this, but I have a feeling it will be either Pogac or Remco. I think ju- just the way that cycling is going, the sort of deep monopolization of, of victories, high-level victories to a certain small pool of riders, it's got to be one of those guys. I would be freely surprised if it's an outsider. And if it's an outsider, they will come from one of these big hitting teams, like an Ineos, like a Yambo. It won't come from with that moving on and uh let's talk about the british no the brazilian national championships no i'm kidding no offense brazil i have my notes ready for that one but (laughs) we can we can go elsewhere if you want to the duo de cecilia a race that astana actually managed to win a stage race with their one of their star riders alexi lutzenko i would say he is their star rider he was up there in amstel as well as we know yeah i think it was it was i I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not even sure. I didn't watch it live. I just watched a couple of the highlights and stuff. And you know what? It was it was all right, to be honest. With you. It was a cool little throwback. Bonifacio won a stage. That was a good little trip down memory lane. And then, uh, who was it? Joel, Joel Suter, who was riding for UAE last year. He won a stage with a bit of a predict, like, attacked a bit early. That was kind of cool. Lutsenko winning. I was just like, you know, it was, it was a good fun time for a few days, actually. I quite liked the lack of the big favourites. I thought it was quite entertaining and a bit fresh and a bit new. It was like taking a mint after having a fish and chips or something like that. It was quite refreshing. It was nice. It was like taking a shot of limoncello after your uh, <laughs> big big uh, Italian uh, main course. Yeah, or a tiramisu, whatever you want to say. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really like Sicily. I think it's a fascinating part of the world with the history there. I really like when the, when the Giro visits. I think it's always uh, interesting to see. And it's got quite an interesting relationship with cycling, especially in recent times. Um, Nibali. <coughs> Damiana Caruso adopted Sicilian um, as well. Let's not forget. But yeah, it is uh, it, it is a fascinating race. And I feel like, you know what? I'm quite content with the results. There's not one that I'm a little bit bummed out about. Finn Fisher-Black winning the opening stage, I think was a really nice uh, story for him. 
he had a big injury last year, didn't really quite have his opportunity to burst through the ranks that we were that we were hoping for. But but now with this win at the Giro di Sicilia, he's kind of back in there, finished top five in GC. He's what twenty one, and his sister as well is the under twenty three world champion in the women's uh, women's racing. Also, I mean, yeah. That win by Joel Suter, I think, was a big, big mess up by the Peloton and, and letting that go up the road. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it was definitely an interesting week of racing. And I'm happy that Lutsenko got a win. I think Lutsenko's kind of slept upon a little bit. I think he's a really, really good rider. Super versatile. He can do so many different things and doesn't quite get as many wins as you would hope that he could. He still has a number of Grand Tour victory, Grand Tour stage wins to his name. And I think this this overall win at Sicilia, it's nice to see. Also, I feel like they win the prize for the nicest A, trophy, and B, leader's jersey. It's a really cool leader's trophy. jersey. Better than the Infinity Trophy. Oh, the Trofeo Sensafina. Yeah, because not going to lie, the Trofeo Sensafina looks a bit cheap. Oh, sorry, sorry, Jared Italia. No, it looks like you, you could like you, you could knock it and it would make a sound like a sort of like like it's hollow inside. It's just like if you get what I mean. It doesn't no. look fancy. No, no, it, it, like like it's like hollow. It's like fiberglass. If if you like put it down on the table too hard, it would shatter. It might yeah. even be plastic, you know. Like distilled Heinz cans. Who knew this would be you and the last very episode true, very true. on the echelon? Criticizing <laughs> yeah, the Giro d'Italia trophy. That's a sin. What's the tall's trophy? Is it just a plate that you put yeah. a cake on? Is, is that what it's it is? A bowl. It's a blue bowl. Um, it's, I, I can't remember it. Exactly. It's just the most underwhelming trophy. Despite the fact that you put yourself through so much pain for three weeks, you barely get um prize money and then you uh you get this blue bowl with like this tiny little stand at the bottom it's like a it's like a glorified fruit bowl that you get for winning the 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 tour de france it's not a particularly nice trophy if Mm. i recall the green jersey one is a lot more spectacular yeah it's like a big var yeah i mean it's not the nicest but one of those uh lions i think is a lot it's a much cooler trophy those little uh lines you get for getting the yellow jersey i've actually held pantani's and that was one of the scariest moments of my life not dropping it but it's because they don't care about it in italy it's the jersey they don't care about the yeah as you said the glorified fruit bowl but i mean we also well moving on from trophies we had races in france as well and it seemed like one rider that youtube bigged up the young 21 year old french guy kevin vauclin he actually did quite well oh kevin vauclin's just what a man. I don't know, he's just, um, I just like how it's just nice when when France get a good young rider. I don't know. It just feels like after a few years where people were a bit down, it was like, oh, we're not going to win the tour or something. But then we get like these kind of nice young riders because we've gone through kind of the Bardes and Pino. Godou, of course, is kind of on a bit more of like a resurgence this year, of course. We've talked about him going for the podium at the tour. But um yeah, it's just cool to see Vokalan doing well. Just another name of the mix. He's quite he's more like all rounded. He's also a very good time trialist as well as being quite good at climbing as well. He's quite a good one day racer as well. He's just a nice, well rounded French rider. And I just think that's just really cool because I can't really remember the last I don't know, there isn't really a rider who I can really pin him down to who he's very similar to. Um I'm sure there is one, but I just can't think of one off the top of my head. Somebody who's a good one day racer. Bit of a GC threat, bit of like a time trialist. I don't really know. I just quite like it. Alexei Lutsenko. Oh my word, he's the French Alexei Lutsenko. He literally, yeah, basically is. There you go. Full circle. 
Perfect. That's the uh, the epiphany of this episode is that Kevin Vauclin is really the uh, the the Norman version of uh, of Alexei Lysenko. But I mean, maybe maybe he'll, he'll be carrying Arkea Samzik's chances like Lysenko in the years to come. But it, it was an interesting couple of uh, races in France during the week. Of course, Paris Camembert. Uh, the cheese lovers race that was won by Valentin Ferrand ahead of a good Breton kid, Ewan Custio. A shout out because he has a very similar name to my own, the Breton incarnation thereof. And he's just 20 years of age and a second place in Paris Camembert's good sign of things to come for him, especially in, for a Breton rider on Arkea Samzik. I think that shows good signs to come. Also, Victor Lafay finally getting another win after that Giro success. Uh, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see if Victor Lafay could possibly come back, or at least I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see if Victor Lafay could possibly come back. And he did in a Besançon, a bit of an uphill finish. He won ahead of Lenny Martin who's a really good kid 19 years of age he won the uh Valadosta race uh, which is a big youth race i think was it last year or the year before he's on the group Parma team so he's another one of their sort of wonder kids that could come through and Vauclin yeah I, i'm i'm super excited for Vauclin but I, i'm a little bit worried that once we get to the tour de france he'll just like fade away uh which we've seen before with a couple of these guys who do very well in coupe de france kind of second tier French racing and then once they go to like a Tour de France we forget all about them I'm thinking about Julien Simon who used to dominate the Coupe de France that would be anonymous in, in the Tour de France who else even Brian Cocard who would sweep up sort of stages at the second level and then never really crack the top five in a Tour de France sprint yeah so I'm, I'm hoping Volcan can make it with his polyvalent skill set I mean he won the Tour du Jeu de Cycliste as well which was like that was a hard finish as well like he beat Pino Guillaume Martin Nons Peters Ben O'Connor Guillaume Martin Guillaume Martin's been a blast from the past it's not a great sign now if he's uh, missing the mark he's lost all of his momentum since uh, almost wearing the yellow jersey for a day at the Tour de France in 2021 the reason is obviously this is a one day race and this is not Guillaume Martin's forte because he doesn't quite grasp the concept that there isn't subsequent days where he can go in a breakaway and make up time so a one-day race is perhaps a little bit confusing he doesn't quite realize that he can't then go in a breakaway and gain eight minutes in three stages time he's got to the end and actually his his ds has said oh no that's it that's the end of the day he's like what (laughs) how does this work uh maybe that was it i don't know yeah guillaume martin the eternal what was it? What do people say? Like the human yo-yo just goes up and down GC like that. Snakes and ladders it, GC. Yeah. It kind of frustrates me at times, but then at other times I just laugh at it. I just think this is just brilliant. I want him to release a new book. That's what I want. Um, yes. Uh, so Catavello is great, but I want I want the, the, the sequel. I want him to, to relate other things to bike races. Um, if he could do one about sort of artistic movements and relate them in, in, into a big Tour de France setting, that could be really cool. Guillaume, if you're watching, um, intellectual copyright page. Of course he is. Of course he is. So he's a big fan. But I mean, well, we're going to come into one of our new segments before uh, Rider of the Week, and it's transfer news, as we love transfers, and there'll be a lot more across the channels, etc. But the big transfer that was kind of mentioned on Twitter, mentioned in one of the news broadcasters, was Macho Van Der Poel, rumoured, very thinly rumoured, to a UAE team Emirates. What did you guys think of this? I'd rather it didn't happen. I don't to think be honest. Was. I mean, I know it's just a rumor, but it's just it's just kind of annoying. I don't even know where the rumor came from. Wasn't it like the race director of Amstel Gold 
like said it, and it, I don't know, is it just some person who, through Chinese whispers, has heard something which has been passed down 10 people, and it's actually just completely false or something? Firstly, it wouldn't make sense. Why would Matthew Van Der Poel go to UAE other than a money perspective? He's got a whole team around him. It's working well. He's getting the results. I, I, I don't think he'd have, I don't think he would necessarily have an issue with that. And him and Pogaccio from the Cobble Classics, that's just, no, that's just not going to work either. So, I hope that if it is true, it doesn't happen. Somehow we sabotage it. We uh, the cycling day and fly into UAE headquarters and hand cut the contract with our own bare hands and scissors. But I mean, this is this is I mean a silly rumor. I don't think it's based in any sort of in any real truth. Probably so, somewhere down the line, it was something misinterpreted or something. But no, uh, UAE were interested in Van der Poel. What does that mean? Interested instead of instead of like wanting to sign? Who knows? Remember, I mean, last year we had the Remco to Ineos rumors because Patrick Lefevre mentioned in his column that Dave Brelsford sent him a text message jokingly asking him how much he would pay for Remco Avnapol. We sort of ran with that story. This probably has come from a similar place of misinterpretation or, yeah, Chinese whispers, as you say. But there are other big, decent transfer rumors on the table, courtesy of Gazetta. Scott, should we dive into those? Go for it. Okay, from our sources over at Gazetta Dello Sport, we have a couple of... Uh, transfer rumors first of all with some some uh prolongations uh which includes Juan Seba Molano he'll be staying at UAE but the transfers from team to team will begin with Gino Meta who is rumored to be leaving to Tudor Pro Cycling he is on a contract year right now and early on it seems like Tudor have the first option and the first bid on the table for him. Also, Matteo Jorgensen, who's currently riding for Movistar. Rumors are circulating around him moving to either Jumbo Visma or EF, uh, both of which I think make a lot of sense. And also an update on the Carlos Rodriguez story. We believe that Movistar are still, we believe that Movistar are still the front runners to take Carlos Rodriguez, the reigning Spanish champion, at the end of this year. Carlos Rodriguez, we've talked about Ineos Grandes so many times on the Echelon how that they seem a bit well they were transitioning from not it seems cruel to say spent but like older riders in the twilight of their careers to this younger generation and here carlos rodriguez one of the key riders could be moving to a rival that seems crazy that they haven't tried to hold on to him it is weird i suppose uh because if they lost rodriguez that would really be like i don't know cutting themselves off of the legs because he is really the the proven youngster who they have. They have other youngsters who could certainly become good GC riders in the future, but they aren't as proven as Carlos Rodriguez, who you know did the the Vuelta last year and did very well, despite the fact that he crashed quite late on uh, in the final week. And it would be, although it does kind of make sense that he would go to Movistar because it's he's Spanish and. It's a Spanish team. Would he do that? How would it work with Mass, especially in there as well? Of course, Mass is going to be the main man for the tour. Would that just mean that Rodriguez just gets pied off to the Giro until Mass retires or wherever? Or then they do a co-leadership and we know how Movistar co-leaderships go. I think from a cultural standpoint, it makes sense to Right, but Ineos do have a history of having quite a like a Hispanic almost kind of contingency in their team. So culturally, I think it makes sense. But uh, from a like team structure standpoint, I don't think it does. I agree. 
I think it's going to be strange and Movistar. I'm not 100% sure it'll work out. We've seen them sort of lose touch of some young writers' talents, if you know what I mean. Like they, they, They've signed writers you would think could go into great things and they, they don't quite progress to the lofty heights we presumed before. Carlos Betancourt, I'm thinking of. Carlos Sosa, maybe. Sosa. I forgot about Ibn Sosa even existing in the peloton, no offense. But he was such a promised rider, moved over, faded into obscurity. I'm not sure if the same is going to happen to Carlos Rodriguez. He's shown more promise than Ibn Sosa. But yeah, I mean, we spoke about this last year a little bit in the transfer talks later into the season. This this offer has been on the table for a while. So I feel like the fact that it's been renewed and the talks are being sort of written about now in Gazeta shows that there might be some some truth in them the skeptic in me th- believes that uh rodriguez wants to go so he can be part of uh, the next season of ldm menos pensado so he can get a sort of front runner role he can be on a he can be like one of the leading names in the credits he wants a netflix career afterwards this is all part of building his uh building his netflix portfolio i mean that makes complete sense uh yeah but it's this would be a huge loss once again like losing carapaz yeah that's one thing but this a rider that could potentially go on to do bigger things but i mean the gig that you were highlighting that maybe he's just sent off to the giro for a number of seasons before enric mass is too old that's not a bad gig to be honest because then then he's the poster boy for the giro for movie star it's great because they have two contenders in some respect don't pull me down on the enric mass being a contender for the tour but i mean you have two riders that could conceivably be top five in two grand tours and that's a bucket load of points and then they can go I together mean, in the welter that's what Carpath was in 2018 and 19 he was sent off to the giro because he wasn't as good as landa or Quintana or balverde like he was sent off to, to the giro and he won one of them so you never know maybe rodriguez can get his uh chance to prove himself at the giro i, I don't know but at the same time is there a slot for him at ineos in years to come well i mean Te- thomas is sort of walking out of the scene i'm losing hope day by day in egan Bernal coming back and the younger guys are maybe just a little bit too young tim and adamsman i don't think is a sort of nail on for top five for the next five years so i think maybe rodriguez is at that stage in sort of his career progression where he probably could stay at Ineos and been given some good opportunities but I feel like his sort of pathway is very similar both teams we don't know whether there's money behind the scenes uh, that's pulling sort of strings one way or the other but yeah I'm, st- I'm starting to believe that this one will happen purely because they are these talks have been renewed but I think some of the other rumors on the table are also quite interesting here Matteo Jorgensen who had a brilliant spring classics campaign finished top 10 at Paris Nice, do you guys think he's going to be a good addition to Yumbo or EF? Which which pathway do you see being the more legitimate of the two? I would like to see the EF Avenue more, just from the standpoint that Yumbo it just seems like superfluous at that point. Bringing in Matteo would just be another guy in there. They've already got so many mountain kind of GC riders. He would just sort of fade into the into the mass of of bodies that they have and i just i just i'd hate to see that happen bodies. from a rider who's kind of like done well and he's like making a name for himself and then all of a sudden it's just like yumbo and it's just kind of like i just i think that'll be a shame i think that ef suits him more from an american rider going to an american team like that and especially since ef are very prone to like you know they, they don't really have I never got Carapaz, but there's certainly more space in EF, I think, for Jorgensen to have his own chances and show his own 
his, his own colours in that sense and kind of do it, get his own good results. If he wants to be a, a GC rider or whatever, you know, they got Brand Tours available for him to do that. He's good at one day races. The combination of him, Powerless, and other American riders like Sean Quinn in there as well. I think that'll just be a really good dynamic. And it sounds bad, but I do hope that he doesn't go to Yumbo. I mean, the money is going to be a big thing as well. Yumbo Visma, I think, just going to throw cash at him. But I mean, the whole American, American go to American team, Jonathan Boxes as well. The PR would be amazing for the team. And yeah, if he goes to Yumbo, it's basically just like Kenny Ellison going to Ineos Grandiers or Sky. He goes in there and then you see him three years later, nothing on his Palmares, but a fat bank account, probably. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, he'd slot into their squad quite well. And that Swiss Army Knife rider type that Yumbo really like, a bit like a Jan Tratnik, Rowan Dennis to some extent, um, Nathan van Hoydon, Christophe Laporte, these guys who can do lots. I think Jorgensen would fit into that squad very well, but I wouldn't sort of, yeah, I don't think he's going to get quite as much success or freedom as he would at EF, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. I don't know if there's an extension of Movistar also on the table uh, as an option for him or whether he's certain on leaving. But one, the other transfer that I mentioned, Gina Merda going to Tudor. It's a step down in terms of the, the, the professional level down to Pro Continental and said the world tour where he was at. But I really see this. I know Gino's a guy who he thinks a lot. He's quite a sort of deep thinker and I know he's been wanting change in some capacity for the past couple of years. I was surprised he actually extended with Bahrain in the first place. I thought he really wanted change at the end of 2021 but stayed with Bahrain for those two years and I'm not surprised to see that he wants to go to another team, but Tudor, I, th- I thought I thought he was a world tour rider. To be honest, depends on Tudor's plans. They could have world tour ambitions, but then that's not going to happen until the end of this cycle, which is in two years' time. Yeah, mm. he what 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 Merda could do until then is to sort of wait it out and go to another team slot in there for two years and then join Tudor when he's a little bit older. Um, yeah. But if he, if, if, if he wants to be the sort of flagship rider for them, he's a Swiss guy going to a Swiss team. It would make sense. He's probably one of the best Swiss climbers of the moment. Probably the best. I think you're right. It's kind of similar to what I said about Rodriguez, which is that culturally it makes sense because like you said, it's like he, he would be the poster boy for the Tudor Pro Cycling and you know I don't know what their like Scott said what their plans are but you know they've got camp in there at the moment get made if uh, managed to get another good rider or two and all of a sudden it's starting to formulate itself into something but yeah like you say he is a world tour quality rider every of the Vuelta for what was it not last year but the year before where did he finish in GC was it fifth or sixth or something like that he won, yeah he was right up there for fifth I think on the last day he moved up yeah, uh, he racing, and he won the white jersey of Farrell. Yeah, Cole. yeah. So therefore, he definitely is a world. Come on, he is a quality rider, and but maybe he is, like you say, you maybe he's hoping for something a bit more, less stressful, a bit less committed, and perhaps a less busy calendar that you get with a kind of pro Conti level team. Maybe he's wanting that a bit more. But saying that, if he, like you say, I think it is perhaps a good idea that you know maybe he could go somewhere else for two years, let Tudor develop as a team. Because let's face it, they are they're a new team. They perhaps need to find their identity and find out what they're good at and what they're kind of specialising in in terms of the um, the riders that they're bringing in, what they want to actually be good at as a team. Because as a pro cons team, you need to kind of focus on like, we're going to do be good at Ardennes, be good at Cobbles, going to be good at Sprint or whatever. So I think that he could certainly go to somewhere like Intermarche or wherever or just some other team for 
a couple of years and then maybe go to Tudor. I think that he'll certainly be hot property, that's for sure. If, if he's on a roster for Tudor, that would help them get more license, well, more wild cards maybe, because they have a genuine uh, GC contender, because a lot of Tudor's riders are young, or they're just not quite there enough to sort of headline a uh, start list, and especially in terms of like, climbing. They've got a lot of good sprinters, Alexander Camp out of the claim. Um, now your Sutter won a race the other day. Like to have a good solid climber on that as well shows that the team's a little bit more well rounded. That they could probably fight for a wild card more than like Coratech could or one of these other teams that are just sort of missing that headline act to sort of bump them up. Um, in terms of the other ones, we've mm. seen this happen so many times where Quintana went to Arkea when they weren't quite there in terms of getting wild cards to, to bigger races. Sagan to some extent for Total. Yeah, uh, Total doesn't really have the pure identity um especially if when, when sagan goes i think total will will be struggling a little bit in terms of their identity as well i mean you're right there are quite a few of I'd, I'd say that perhaps aolo are kind of finding it they had um you know they've had that stage win and you know they kind of are forming themselves as like a, a definite a climber team like more kind of juicy focus and then they've got albanese as a bit more of a well-rounded rider as well i feel like they're got a good identity but i think you're right a pro comedy team is it's important to have that sort of identity almost as to what they're good at but having that identity isn't good enough to necessarily get your wild card invite it's showing that versatility across different types of disciplines that really entices the big organizers to invite you in yeah definitely having sort of top tier riders will help especially for these i think these french races will be a big roof if they can smash their way into those in the way that uno x have done recently if tudor can rival uno x because i think tudor maybe have a little bit better more strength than uno x adding murder here could really sort of rival uno in terms of getting these wild cards to more of these sort of french races which in turn will help will help them get points and by the end of the next cycle, they could be in a very good position, maybe, to be fighting uh, for a World Tour license. But, I mean, that team also needs to grow as well. Maybe in terms of budget, maybe in terms of roster. And Merda could definitely be part of it. E- even during this discussion, actually, I've sort of changed my mind. I think if Merda were, were, were to go now, it could actually be quite a nice project for him. Uh, I think I think he'd really relish in that, to be fair. But, I mean, anyway, coming to the last part of the show, Rider of the Week, and obviously Tadbogacha screams that. But uh, that's too easy. So, uh, I mean, Patrick, I'll let you go first. Who's your Rider of the Week? Uh, my Rider of the Week is Francesco Bassato, who is the kind of Italian young puncher for Intermarche's development team. But he won the under-23 Liège Baston Liège. And he also finished in, when was it, 14th place at the Brabant Cipel, which as a rider who, 20 years old, he kind of gets brought up into their kind of elite team and I think that that's a really promising Italian puncher coming up that will certainly be worthwhile people keeping tabs on into the future because you know Intermarche very exciting team very dynamic team very um they, they like to give people opportunities I think that Bosato would be a brilliant addition to that team I can't wait to see what he could do in the future uh, my rider of the week is Ben Healy for EF Education First Easy Post. I like the I like Ben Healy, but also because he's done very well this week. Uh, second place at Bravanza Pale and uh, second place at Amstel Gold. So I think it really solidifies good form that he's been, uh, that he's got in his legs over the past couple of weeks. And it also shows what could come later in the season as well for EF. 
who have, I think, really improved and stepped up their game in 2023 so far. And hopefully they can keep that momentum going into the Giro. Yeah, Benpidi, very strong. But uh, yeah, I'm going to predict, oh, well, predict, uh, pick one obscure one. I, I'm 100% in uh, the reason for most of the Sweden jokes. Obviously, Norway and Denmark have phenomenal riders right now compared to the history. But I'm going to go with Sweden because uh, one of their youngsters, a 19-year-old for the national team, Jakob Sönerqvist, he actually won a stage of a French uh, French race, the uh, Tour de Loire. Ewan can pronounce it correctly, but I can't. The Swedish riders doing well is something we don't really talk about enough. So that this 19-year-old managed to take a stage in a race that had a number of former World Tour riders or pro-continental riders really shows that he could be up there in the next few years, potentially, if he gets caught by or taken by the right team. Come on, Sweden. We need you. <laughs> yes, There's I, um, nothing oh, there. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, that's it for our 12th episode. Make sure to check all the different platforms out. We're on Amazon. We're on all of them, basically. Uh, even Spotify. And of course, as always, comment down below what you thought of anything that we've been talking about. Like the video and subscribe to the channel. And of course, as always, thank you for watching and have a nice day.